stuck in the middle. That's a little bit how it feels in Ohio right now as the state moves forward through the coronavirus crisis. Large events, fairs, concerts, all still prohibited, but many schools set to reopen and daycare is returning to full capacity. Here to discuss the latest in the coronavirus fight is no stranger to the WFMJ audience. He's one of the world's preeminent virologists who helped name this coronavirus, and he generously dedicates his time to helping sort fact, fiction, fear, and science. Dr. Ben Newman, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks very much. How can I help? Well, I always like to start off with you by just asking, because you're up on things far beyond what, what anybody else I've ever talked to is on this. What is the latest with this virus? Are we in any better shape, getting worse? What, what are you optimistic about? What still worries you? So the U.S. has leveled off in the last couple of days in terms of number of cases. That is positive. We were in an out-of-control rise before that. So, uh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> we're not really going down yet. And we've been here before where we had a little peak and then we kind of leveled off and just coasted there. And ultimately, that is not the answer. Uh, places that are getting this under control are seeing continuing downward numbers. So, yeah, so, some good, some bad. Um, the new vaccine data that's come out has been positive, although there are little warts on uh, each of the candidates, I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, overall, it looks like we're going to have something that at least works to some extent. And there's going to be a use for a vaccine even if it provokes a little tiny response or a particular kind of response, there will be a group that can be protected with that, I think. So that's the positive news. So now what do we need to do to stop? We, we, you said we've been at this sort of a plateau before. We did not go down. No. So, <laughs> so we have another opportunity to make that happen now. What do we need to do? Right. So the question is, is school day going to become Memorial Day? So we were doing fine as a nation until Memorial Day. And right after that, starting about a week later, which is when you get the first cases rolling in, the numbers started to take off. Um, it seems as though every time we start to get people together in places, then right afterward, the virus seems to spike. And so I think that's going to happen. The question is, how much of a spike is there? And I think the answer is probably going to depend on exactly where you are. And uh, yeah, I mean, it all comes down to whether there is that one person in the room that has the virus or not. If there's nobody there, hey, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, you don't know. You never know. Now, these uh, in Ohio, um, it seems like it, it almost feels like there's a little bit of a shifting of the goalposts in regard to regulations for people. And I know that's because of new data, but that's also because of political interests and, and et cetera. Um, <laughs> But I mean, for example, I mean, we were discussing today in the newsroom, you know, you can have an outdoor craft show, call it retail and have thousands of people show up. But if I move those same thousands to the lawn over at an amphitheater and there's a band playing, that's a concert. It's a mass gathering. It's not allowed. We're asked not to hold family gatherings, but weddings with 300 people are permitted under the state health orders. Yeah. So, I mean, so in terms of just overall guidelines, I mean, nothing changing, just what, what approach should we be taking? And do we need more specifics at the state or the national level? So let's throw a couple more onto the pile from Texas, courtesy of Texas. Why not? <laughs> yeah. So down here, you're actually, um, uh, let's see, not allowed to do any river tubing. 
or river rafting. That is forbidden. Rodeos are allowed, but only at half capacity. Massage parlors are allowed to operate at full capacity, <laughs> among other things. <laughs> Children's camps are okay with unlimited size, but outdoor gatherings of anybody are actually limited. But if you were to then take those people and move them indoors into a church, then it's permitted once again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think the virus knows or cares where it is. It's not a smart thing. It just spreads if it has the opportunity and if we keep giving it opportunities, it'll spread. It's just a question of how much and how soon. And there are modelers that can, uh, they're trying to predict exactly that. And yeah, their models are looking a lot more like the reality that we're seeing now. So I think they are getting a more of a handle on exactly what's going on with this virus. So it, do we need a more uniform approach then is kind of oh, it. Yeah. the virus doesn't, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, but like you said, uh, there's a lot of politics mixed up in this, and I guess part of it is that the rules are made by politicians, and this is the one thing that they know and are good at, and so, okay, yeah. <laughs> I making see rules, but from. not just, science. <laughs> yeah, I, right, it's not, and I wish there was a little more science thrown in there, or a little more caution, or a little more, I don't know, respect for nature and the unknown, and just the terrible things that it can do. We are kind of alone as a nation in handling this particularly badly. Pretty much everywhere else on the planet that's inhabited by Homo sapiens is doing a better job right now than the U.S. And that does not feel good, considering the number of Nobel Prize winners, the number of highly funded labs that are here and available. So, yeah, it's a bad look, and I'm hoping that changes, but I don't see the seeds of that change yet. Or maybe I just don't recognize them because they have not sprouted. So given that number of the Nobel Prize winners, et cetera, I mean, are, are the people in charge just not listening like they need to? I think there are a lot of competing interests, and I think they're listening to some of the other interests more than the sort of public health or this is how a virus works side. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Right. Really like science class. I, I don't know. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, in Ohio, we're set to reopen daycares at full capacity on August 9th. The governor said yesterday when he announced it, he's, you know, he agonized over the decision, but he's got working parents and he has to consider that. And that and that that seems like a legitimate interest to, to be weighing. Obviously, people they have to they have to go to work they've got kids to care for but how much inherent risk is there in doing that is there any way to keep two-year-olds together safely <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but so we can actually answer this with data which i think is always the best kind of answer you can give there are a lot of states uh including texas and new mexico i think that have actually put out the number of uh, infections that have occurred in childcare settings. Uh, you see some states that split these out and some states that just keep them lumped in with the rest. And what they show is that you get about two teachers infected for every child by the look of it. Or rather you can detect the virus because it's grown to a high enough level to be detected in two teachers per child. So I think we are going to tear through the teachers, the people that are running daycares, a lot faster than the children. I see the need to keep at least some capacity open. Full capacity, though, looks like, I don't know, uh, a recipe for more virus growth. Um, so what about schools then? I mean, we're, we're talking face-to-face -face learning and obviously a little bit older kids, but uh, same same answer essentially? Or Yeah, well, 
it is kind of the same answer. Yeah, there's some people that, yeah, don't have anything else that they can do that's safe with their children. And having them in school is, frankly, yeah, that's a, a very good outcome. But there are other studies that show that um, online learning is much less effective, or at least as it has been done at certain online schools mm. than regular learning. There was even one, I think, out of Florida about two years ago that showed that going to online school for a year, uh, so they compared them by, you know, if you were the same, that's fine. But if you were like uh, half as good, then they'd say, okay, that's equivalent to 90 days out of 180 of school. And they found that a year of online schooling sets you back by about 180 days, which is a school year. Yeah. So (laughs) in other words, this is a real difficulty. And even I think the optimistic experts are saying that we're going to be dealing with coronavirus for something like the next year. And so I, I don't I don't have a great solution to that. And we can't just abandon, you know, a year's worth of children. Right. Yeah, we need something. But I am not sure from my perspective as a scientist what that something should look like. I mean, we see some schools looking at these little hybrid models or putting up plexiglass, things like that. Um, I mean, is that effective or is that you know, it's still in the air? There hasn't been a big scientific study that shows that plexiglass is ineffective yet, but I think that's only because I haven't seen that particular study done. Mm -hmm. What we know now is that the virus will hang in sort of clouds as people uh, talk. There's a beautiful video on YouTube of a person counting from one to 10 while wearing nothing or various kinds of mask and just the amount of these little droplets that come out. It's thousands per second. And yeah, these things hang in the air for 10 to 20 minutes. They can carry virus, and there is no reason to think that they would obey the screen and, you know, stay on the one side rather than going over and around. I think that's much more likely. Now, and you would know this far better than I would because I look at various sources to try and figure out, you know, just, you know, I'm always sort of armchair scientist here trying to go, okay, well, it looks like it was here then and now it's here. And so one thing I look at a lot that I've become almost obsessed with, even though Ohio doesn't seem like they they place as much uh, emphasis on it, is the r naught number. And I know we've talked to you about that before. Now, there's one site that I look at and I cannot speak to its, uh, it's just, you know, an aggregate, so I don't know how accurate it is. But it looks like in mid-March, before we really put any restrictions in place, the r not at least in Ohio, was like over two, like two and a half, and started to fall before any restrictions were put into place, came up after they were lifted, and seems to have leveled somewhere. How much, it, how much is what we do affecting it, and how much can you attribute to the virus being the virus? Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. All right. So let's go piece by piece. Yeah. Um, So uh, in statistics, there is a thing called r naught. That's really only the initial rise, kind of when there's nothing checking the spread of the virus. And so that one, that number kind of stands on its own. Then after that, you can calculate an R value, but it's the R value of, you know, today. And so we call that an R effective or something. Mm -hmm. And so the r naught can't change, but the R effective, yeah, very much does. And it's changed by exactly the stuff that you're saying, by people talking to each other, by people modifying their behavior, even without putting in necessarily mask orders. You will have some people that no longer want to go outside and hang out with people when they know there is a uh, dangerous virus on the loose. And that's maybe one of the good self-preservation sides of human instinct. Uh, And I think we see that to some extent in the numbers. 
But the big dips that we see in the numbers, where it goes from a large rise to leveling off and then falling very quickly, those have all come with either people essentially being locked indoors, which is terrible but effective, (laughs) or uh, from people uh, um, having mask mandates and having sort of mask discipline, the, the, the sense that you do actually have to follow the mask order. So, um, I mean, looking ahead, because, again, your finger is on the pulse here in the, in scientifically, what are the next things you're looking for to happen just in the short term, in the long term, and then, you know, take me a year down the road? <laughs> <laughs> so right now we've got schools that are about to open up almost everywhere. Everybody's getting ready, and it feels like the right thing to do to a lot of people, and I understand that. I think you're going to see a rise in the number of cases associated with this. And I think when you start seeing student deaths or something like that, and uh, yeah, perhaps a little after you see a couple of faculty deaths, I think at that point, you're going to, they're going to have to shift tack. What we're trying to do now is essentially we're trying to go back in time to a time before coronavirus. And there's no way to do that. Pandora's box is open and we got to deal with this new world now. I think what I want to see going forward and what I hope to see is some kind of shift in the way we function as Americans, as humans. Um, sort of a um, maybe a new way of doing things that doesn't involve quite as much grouping together, clustering, close contact, and basically virus-spreading opportunities, but still gives the uh, option to have a decent functioning economy and do most of the stuff that we like to do. And I'm I'm kind of waiting for that to happen, but I think that's what's going to be coming in over the next year, at least I hope so. If we don't adapt to this thing, it's just going to keep beating us up until I don't know what, but uh, it's not anything good. Until, I guess, a vaccine or better treatments? I mean, what about then? You could make a vaccine right now, and there would be a lot of people who would say, I'm not going to take that, you know, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Now, and, and I yeah, guess so. I, keep, I keep thinking I'm on my last question, and then I think of more. But what about the state of treatment right now? I mean, it's obviously, it seems like it's better today than it was, you know, in March, at least marginally. Um, so where are we on that front? Uh, remdesivir is okay. It won't uh, stop you from dying, but it'll get you out of the hospital a day sooner if you were going to come out anyway. And there's there's something to that. <laughs> Nobody likes <laughs> I hospitals. <suppose. laughs> I think the real excitement is in some of these uh, experimental treatments. So there are people trying a lot of ways to go in and basically short-circuit parts of the immune system that are actually just sort of over-revving themselves. And uh, I've been at a conference uh, all this week, and we've listened to a couple of those already, and they look really good in mice. Of course, a lot of stuff looks good at the, you know, in the mouse model level. But I, um, I feel like there are enough of these things out there being tried right now that one or more of them are going to come through. It's just a matter of trying to figure out which one and how soon can we get it out to people. All right. Well, Dr. Ben, thank you very much for your time. Hey, happy to help. Thanks very much. Thank you.